Who's Walking Into The Office is a podcast about the changing faces showing up at work, how they got there, what gets in the way, and what can we do as a business community to make things better. My name is Josuel Placencia. I am the co-founder and COO of Forefront. Before Forefront, I was on the other side. I was raised by a single mother in Queens, New York. Growing up low income as a person of color and the first in my family to even graduate high school, I faced tremendous challenges when interviewing and attaining employment at some of America's top companies, from Accenture to Goldman Sachs. This is why this work matters so much for me. The demographics of the workplace are changing rapidly, and today there are more diverse faces in the workplace than ever before in American history. That said, challenges in the workplace that come with this change continue to persist. Who's Walking Into the Office is a fun, practical guide to better knowing and understanding who are these faces, the challenges they face, and what that means to all of us, the American workplace. Today we sit down with Bhushan Seti. What do British accents, Central Park, and working with businesses to solve their greatest challenges all have in common? That's Bhushan Seti, the joint global leader of people and organization at one of the world's most influential companies, PwC. Bhushan, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from my apartment in New York City. Have you have you left your apartment at all in the last few few years, few months? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a few years, doesn't it? Um, I, I try and get out once a day to run. I live near the park, and I and that's my um, that's my recreation. I try and get out for an hour a day, and then it's pretty much like this: call after call, you know, punctuate it a little bit with hanging out with the kids and uh, and other things. But um, yes, it's uh, it's it's a little bit of leisure and a lot of and a lot of work right now for all of us. Excellent. Well, I hope this is a a uh, change to the rhythm. Before we jump into what you're doing today with one of the world's most influential companies, PwC. Let's start where, where it all started for you, because it didn't start for you with morning runs in Central Park in an apartment in midtown Manhattan. No, it absolutely didn't. It started for me in, uh, in, in North London, where I was born um, as a first generation Indian immigrant um, parents in London. Um, I, I grew up in a pretty humble background and um, and studied finance and accounting and economics like a, like a good um, like a good Indian son. I was I was pretty good at numbers. Um, the ability to talk and communicate um, uh, in business sense came a little later. Um, but yeah, it started for me growing up in um, in the UK um, to uh, to an immigrant Indian family. I have a couple of sisters who, who still live there, and I moved to the states about twenty years ago. Amazing. I'm curious uh, to to ask you this. Being um, of, of Indian background, growing up in North London in the UK, um, when I met you, really, it was interesting to see that parallels. I'm the son of Dominican immigrants growing up in New York City, right? Uh, so uh, our parents are from a different context than the ones we grew up in. And of course, you later moved into the United States, and that was another change that I'm curious to to hear your thoughts about. But I'm... Um, I'm curious to know, you know, how was that experience growing up? Did you feel like you were 
different? Did you feel like you were similar than your peers? How was that journey of realizing that? Yes, I've thought about this a lot, um, given given what's happening here in the U.S. with systemic racism and the tragic George Floyd incident, because um, I grew up in the in the 70s and 80s when England was was not as integrated as it is right now. Um, after growing up in North London in some humble areas, and and we moved out to the suburbs where the schools were better. We moved out in Hertfordshire, it was about 40 minutes from London. But we were one of the first non-white families in the neighborhood. So a lot of my friends were white. A lot of my school friends were white. And um, we obviously experienced lots of racism and lots of bullying and lots of challenges. And my parents obviously experienced a lot of racism in the workplace. As you can imagine, in 1970s and 1980s England, there were race riots. There were all kinds of challenges. and what it did is it it unified my Indian identity, um, but also taught me some pretty tough lessons and probably tough lessons that are different to what people have grown up in the U.S. experiencing um, either casual racism or systemic racism. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. It's amazing in, in my, in my uh, trips to London to see how the, the parallels is, is really interesting because you do have a predominant uh, culture, dominant culture, and then you have all the diversity that, that exists uh, that represents so much opportunity. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been great to get to know you because you know, my trips to London, I'm reminded of, of folks uh, like you that have been able to navigate those waters. Uh, and, and those are waters that uh, I am interested in navigating successfully. Uh, for for years to come, so so that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's so let's fast forward a little bit more in your career. So you actually you know you come to the states, you pursue opportunities here. What did that look like? And then where are you today? And what is your role today as a business leader? Absolutely. So I um I've um I I, I worked for three years in um in finance in an internal consulting and accounting role in industry in the UK. Then I joined. Uh, Pricewaterhouse actually is a, 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 in their consulting division, but as in their finance function to really understand business process reengineering and, and how to optimize finance functions. I transferred offices um, at Y2, around Y2K, and, and then I started broadening my consulting experience to work on different aspects of operating models and strategy and business process and technology implementations. And then around, around 15 years ago, I was specializing in doing everything around the people area. So whether it's people strategy, skills, training, communications, culture, org design, um, and then started focusing on the financial services industry. So um, I love consulting. I love kind of working with different clients, trying to address problems. And I, I really think that problems, there's no single thing as a single faceted problem anymore. Every problem involves in business, technology, process, strategy, um, people. And so having that broad, different experiences actually helps me to kind of look at problems in, in different ways. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Bushan. So for our crowd, which is sector agnostic, we have listeners of all ages. You know, we have kids hearing the podcast. We have senior leaders. We have folks that are retired. How would you describe what you do today? I help companies improve the way they work 
and get the most out of their people. So whether that's helping people develop the best skills they have, whether it's helping, helping companies design how best to incent their people, how to get people to use new technology, um, and how to make, make those organizations better in the way they serve their customers, they serve their communities, the way they hire people, the way they manage and lead people. It's a real good test uh, as well when you ask someone to describe what they do as if it was to their 11-year-old daughter because it really challenges us consultants and all of our consultants speak. So I appreciate you uh, asking me to, uh, to dumb it down. <laughs> well, you have some experience in the household, I'm sure, with your young ones also. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this, is, uh, this is amazing. So you are certainly in the front lines of supporting businesses of, of different sectors uh, in, in their talent, in their people, right? And how can they better hire? How can they uh, better leverage technology? How can they better optimize their their functions? We are obviously in the middle of a pandemic right now. It's a it's you know one of the many reasons why we're not even meeting in person today. Uh, I'm really curious to see and hear your 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 thoughts around how COVID nineteen is impacting some of those businesses that you're working with. What is your point of view of the time that we're living in right now? There is a lot of good things that have come out of this shared experience. The fact that we care about health and well-being, both physical and, and mental and spiritual. And it's okay to talk about that in the, in the work environment. Um, the fact that we've learned how to use some of the digital technologies, whether it's video conferencing, collaborative tools um, to the extent. The fact that we've started to have really transparent human conversations We've asked how each other are doing, how we're feeling, how our friends are. We're looking into each other's homes right now on this call. So there's a lot about humanity and well-being and the way that people have adapted and demonstrated resilience. I agree. And I think that I see this really forcing us in that direction uh, from a human uh, perspective and a technology perspective. Uh, now, if you don't have the technology to conduct yourself in a virtual environment, you're just simply not surviving, right? So that's just the case. And uh, this is going to create a scenario uh, from, from a business perspective of who, who has the technology and who hasn't. And of course, that's scary if you don't have the funding, the resources uh, to get by. And, and I really think that we need to be looking out for those entrepreneurs that need that extra push, that extra support to get by right now. Because the other side, what's left is the folks that can really survive from a technology perspective. In terms of culture, you know, obviously that's, that's, that's um, a lot of our bread and butter uh, and, and what we're doing. Uh, and, that's, and there's a lot of different directions. I think with culture, you can never take culture for granted. And um, things can get worse before they get better if you're not extremely intentional. Um, and right now there, there's a lot at stake. So, so I will say that, um, it's a bit more messy than technology where, um, there's school districts, there's businesses that simply just don't have the tools to move forward. And the ones that do will move forward and stand out on the other side and, and survive what is certainly going to be a, a long-term recession. Uh, but from the cultural perspective, there's even more uncertainty while at the same time being a lot of opportunity for businesses to say, hey, what happened with uh, 
George Floyd, for example, is going to really, you know, we cannot at all uh, stand silent in this moment. We're going to invest more. We're going to take two steps forward, right? But that's just harder to do than saying, hey, we're going to invest X dollars in technology. It's a great point because, I mean, the comments I was making were more around how we dealt with the health crisis for many companies and sectors, the economic crisis of their business, and how they learn to adapt and adjust. And I also think it's important to share that a lot of businesses try to work together. We saw in the hospitality industry, there may be furloughs, but there was an, an ability for people around the world to say, healthcare needs workers or delivery companies need workers. How do we share talent? So I think there's been a lot of kind of good collaboration, but yeah, we, we hit a point, didn't we, in the US, probably 10 weeks into the pandemic where it wasn't just a health crisis or economic crisis, it was a crisis for, for our, our country. And every one of us, you know, with that, you know, looked at that and, and responded to it very, you know, very differently. Um, organizations, people in organizations, um, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And it's been a real, as you said as well, it's a real challenge to the culture of an organization, the culture of a city, the culture of a demographic, a community, and obviously um, our African-American colleagues that we work with um, in the US, our black colleagues around the world are obviously feeling this pain in a way that I obviously, just as an Indian immigrant, cannot, cannot understand. I can empathize with, and I do, but it's, um, we, we, you can't feel that. Yeah, you know, I definitely try to take the time to reflect in terms of, what, of where we are now and having those tough, tough conversations, whether it's with, with friends, with family, uh, with you know, folks in, in the business community that we interact with. Because there is a lot in the balance that that I do know, which is uh, connected to to uh, my 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 earlier uh, statement. Um, and along those lines, I, I'm I'm really really um, I admire PwC uh, for many reasons, and um, it it really starts in the leadership level. Um, in the last few years, we've had a very interesting shift in the world of business that you have had a front uh, seat at as a, as a senior leader at PwC, where businesses and business leaders have had to take the reign of, of standing up for various social issues, um, whether that's climate change in the Paris Agreement, whether that's LGBTQ in the military, uh, whether that's um, you know, support of and and you know of diversity and inclusion for people of color in the workplace, and um, Tim Ryan has been the you know the senior partner of PwC um, North America has been has been very vocal about this, and it's something that I really uh, admire. Obviously, that's not always been the norm in the world of business. So I'm curious to know you being in that front seat, you've seen everything from some of the tragic events that have occurred to even uh, a former PwC associate in, in Dallas, Botham Jean, who, who was killed by an off-duty Dallas cop. That was really a, a, a really remarkable and extremely you know, atrocious situation uh, to the many other murders where PwC has stood up and has made statements uh, ahead of many, you know, ahead of many. So I'm really curious to get your thoughts there. And 
you know, the, you viewing it, you participating it, being in the inside of a new dynamic of what corporate activism looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, coming out of the, um, the George Floyd incident, um, we, we had to, as a corporation and as a business community, absolutely acknowledge it and say, now is not the time. Now, now is the time to actually say, writing a check is not enough. Communications is not enough. Um, showing empathy um, and focusing on some activities in the community um, with um, Im impacted individuals is not enough. We need to actually make systemic change um, one thing that was a surprise was that how quickly organizations, including my own, just started calling out systemic racism. And that really is the first time that I've been in the US for 20 years. We've all acknowledged this, and especially those of us who grew up in a different, in a different world, that there are, there are structural barriers in this country that, that drive inequality and racial injustice, um, and the two are inextricably linked. When we came out, and, and Tim Ryan, as you mentioned, who ironically is an alum of yours, isn't he? Didn't you go to the same college? Um, so uh, he, was, he was very privileged to go to the same college as you. Um, and so given that, given that Tim came out and said, we are gonna now drive change in our community. So a few years ago, we set up um, through Tim's leadership and working with a number of organizations, including our competitors, which is why this is a, um, this is not a competitive issue. This is a business leader issue. We set up a forum called CEO Action for Diversity, where we pulled together, we're now up to over a thousand CEOs who come together to share practices of what they're doing around the diversity and inclusion, and increasingly the diversity, inclusion, and, and equity issues. We've, formed, we've got that community back together and now we've actually said, we need to develop a fellowship program with the CEO Action community and people from PwC to come together to actually drive real actions, to work with non-for-profits, to influence policymakers, to deal with the root cause systemic issues and, and address them. So whether it's around legislation, whether it's around schooling, whether it's around nutrition, and whether it's around police brutality, access to education, whatever it may be. Um, we're, we're trying, we're putting these task forces together, working with our clients, the business community, to say, we need to demonstrate action. We cannot wait for government. We cannot wait for other institutions. Yes, and that will mean taking risks. We need to acknowledge the, the progress and at the same time acknowledge how far we are from the solution. Uh, one thing that is important is how our everyday language now includes the word systemic uh, racism uh, and, and we need to spend time as a community having a conversation about that. That's how Forefront started. Our business started working with businesses just like PwC, uh, including SAP and Blue Cross Blue Shield and getting people together in the same room to have conversations about what is what are these terms, what do they mean? Right, and many times they mean different things to different people. But the more that we hear each other's stories, the more that we create a, a level of understanding, which is obviously very needed in this country, in a time where where it, it can feel very divisive, 
the the rhetoric right that that we experience yeah and to to a point <clears throat> and on those stories as well i think we're all learning so you and i probably think that we understand a lot about this topic from our various lenses but there were things that i learned new when what i was discussing things with some of my black colleagues about systemic racism about some of the history of the country um, around the way that people feel um, in the workplace and some of the challenges they have and these are white collar professionals at, at PwC, whether it's um, getting stopped in their car, whether it's um, casual racism uh, remarks, whether it's how they feel, whether it's why they don't feel comfortable coming on the, the video or the, the difficulties they have in the morning getting dressed and, and the, you know, the, the desire to conform. So we're all going through this, this, this learning process. It's, it's, it's quite, remarkable and thank you for sharing and another framework for that is understanding uh, where we have privilege and where we don't have privilege right and, and what that privilege means right and um, with privilege comes uh, a, a, a level of, of responsibility many times and certainly PwC as an influential company uh, with with many employees uh, globally, how many employees at this point? Is it over 60,000? We have uh, 275,000 globally, um, 55,000 in the U.S. So a lot of people that, you know, work hard for PwC, PwC will continue to be extremely important for, for uh, like I said earlier, that word corporate activism. Um, so, so I appreciate you uh, being leaders, and I will continue to have an eye. Absolutely. And on your on your point around privilege, um, I think it's really important to unpack because it changes in in life. Like you and I both didn't grow up with privilege. Um, we, you know, arguably have some platform and socioeconomic privilege now in the ability to drive to drive change. Um, we absolutely need to use that. And people have different forms of privilege. It's, it's far beyond white privilege. You and I have the same skin color. If we walk down a street in, in the wrong part of the US or the wrong neighborhood, there may be questions there, there may be questions asked later, and we may just be judged by the color of our skin, regardless of you know what, what we do for, for a living. Um, I thought about that personally a lot as my role as a business consultant. And I thought to myself, how many times have I been in corporate America and the services I provide around organization and workforce consulting? Have I actually pushed back enough on my clients to say, are you actually giving everyone a fair chance? As we work on this M&A, this merger integration of two companies, are you paying lip service to your diversity strategy? Um, are you actually giving career paths and opportunities to everyone? Are you making casual comments about people based on country of origin um, or, or whatever it may be? And I think each of us in every, whatever our working job is, we need to be saying, you know, how do the products, the services we provide to our clients or to our colleagues, and is there changes we can make, not just in the way that we interact and the basics of humanity and fairness, but in the craft and the work that we do. And I've I really challenge that, and I and I'm not sure I have um, always pushed back on clients, and and so each one of us is a little bit part of the problem, and each one of us has to, to your word earlier, be bold and maybe take some risk because of because of what's right. The environment is obviously much easier to call that out, but um, implementation and action is going to be tough and long. Yeah, no, I, I I really really appreciate you sharing that. It's it's. Um... 
it's hard to say what, what you just said because I feel the, the norm um, in, in, the, in corporate America, and you know, corporate America is broad, but you know, this idea that corporate America is where there's a lot of you know, big business and you know, white collar jobs, um, in that world, there, there is for sure, a, I, I believe, historically, a level of comfort, right? A level of comfort um, that, that comes with a role. Um, and with that comfort, you can be complicit to things that are happening that are oftentimes behind the scenes, right? And I think that's, that's what makes um, systemic oppression, systemic oppression in many ways is that there's the tip of the iceberg and there's the bottom of the iceberg. And the, this is my personal viewpoint, but the tip of the iceberg is not the real problem. It's not what we see. It's not someone called somebody the wrong, uh, you know, a bad name, right? Um, it's not someone slammed the door um, at someone else and was rude. Those things happen. Don't get me wrong. Those things are, are terrible. Uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's what everybody could see. That's what we call out because it's so in your face. But the bottom of the iceberg is where you have the real terrible systematic things that can the years can pass, the decades can pass, and they can continue. And what are those things? Those are the things that you can't see. You know, those are uh, bias in hiring. Uh, that includes... Uh, the norms around what it is to be business professional, right? What's business address code look like, right? Um, how are you supposed to behave in an interview, right? And, and um, how you're not supposed to behave in an interview. Um, and, and there's just, and it just goes on. Of course, those are examples in the business community, but outside of business, there's that, there's bias and, and ways that, discrimination exists in housing, in banking, in health, right? Um, and everywhere you look, it exists, which is really disheartening, uh, but it exists. And, um, and that's where, where I think that there's an opportunity. It's in the bottom of the iceberg. Another way to look at it is we, we often think about these challenges in very relationship, in a very relationship focused way. Um, so, you know, one example, for example, is um, say somebody did a very bad thing, whether uh, they did a mass uh, shooting or there was a, a sexual misconduct. Um, that is obviously terrible by that one person. But instead of just focusing on that one person on the front of the newspaper, let's also very, very focus, look at the systems that protected that person right and or maybe enable that person right because the systems have a lot more to do uh with with it than just the individual actor but i think we always get so fascinated by the front cover story of you know x person and the story the upbringing right but let's talk about the systems what, what are your thoughts on that we we couldn't have had this conversation a year ago we couldn't have had this conversation to say it's the legal system it's the access to education. It's potentially the credit system of how credit, how businesses get funding and they're disproportionate. And there's a disproportionate impact on minority businesses, especially black businesses in the US. It's okay for us to look at that data and talk about that now. So that, that is a, a good thing. So 
And your iceberg analogy is really helpful for us in the business community to say, what is it within our companies is really at the tip of the iceberg. When we say cultural fit, she is not a cultural fit. He's not a cultural fit. Are we really saying that we want everyone to conform? They may have, um, they may all come from different places and have different colors of skin, but do we not want anyone who acts differently? And so, so we're revisiting that, but you're absolutely right. The systemic issues, which is everything that an individual has to deal with before they come to the workplace, school, where they live, access to health, nutrition, um, is all factors, you know, at the tip of the iceberg as well, but they are structural um, and they are a, they're a big challenge in this country. I'll just compare it. Um, I'm in a privileged position in the US because I have an English accent. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous because you put me you put me in the UK with the same qualifications. There are many British Indian professionals. There are many Bushansaitis. You put me here in the US and suddenly people think that I'm a little bit more informed and a little bit more articulate. And it is very, very shallow. Obviously, in all of our times in work and in life and in fun, we've all, we've all used that privilege of the British accent. But it's quite saddening. It's quite saddening that just because of that, that I get kind of, I get trusted. And if I had a slightly Indian accent, looking the same as I do, you and I look like we're the same color, et cetera, that we wouldn't. So it's these small things that we all have to look at and, and change. I really appreciate you sharing that. This is what fascinates me about uh, culture and about people and this this work that that, that I do uh, f for a living is because you could take this one thing right this one aspect which is accent and there's so much to learn from that right there's so much to learn about how the world works just through accent and what they mean I think that as a kid I always I was always curious about why things were the way they they are and why you know, my mom worked the minimum wage jobs and was a single mom and that raised me in an attic apartment, whereas I saw people that lived in high rises and had entire families and earned five times more money than us. Those were the, the questions I had as a, as a kid. Now I grew up to find out there's ways to pinpoint that. Sometimes it's as small as even analyzing accents, which is fascinating because it is so true what you just said. Um, and, and there's a lot there and, and it is sad. I'm curious. I'd love to dig deeper there on that point though. When do you realize that, that, that this actually gave you an advantage? When I first came to the U S um, and, and you get it, you get over the, the shallow components of, you know, people making fun of your accent, you know, in a bar or in a, in a coffee shop, etc. But the fact that people would listen to me in working sessions, I've, I've always had the ability because my parents encouraged me to ask, as any of my team knows, um, just to ask questions, to ask the most obvious questions. So, you know, why this strategy? Why this business model? Why do these processes go here? Why does um, Sally pass this piece of paper to Fred in the accounts payable department? Whatever questions they were, I would just ask the most obvious questions. And when I started facilitating meetings in the US, and I've traveled many places in the US. My first project was in Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin for 9-11 when the towers came down. I was living in New York, but I was on a project there. But anywhere I would go, people would actually listen to me. Um, 
and it wasn't because I was wearing a, a nice suit or, you know, have my hair combed. It was because of the accent. And they misinterpret it as someone who is educated, is well informed. And obviously, I looked across to my Indian colleagues from the same parts of India, better educated than I am, but with a slight accent, um, and they were not taken as seriously. And obviously, I've used that to a great advantage in, in, in my life, in my work. I, I love standing up in front of audiences around the world and giving presentations. I love meeting you and having a drink in the bar. And the first time we met at the junior achievement session when you were giving the keynote at lunch, I remember that, and you were sharing your own story. So I obviously believe that at the importance of storytelling, but it is quite shallow that I am the same person and just because of my accent, I'm given a privilege here in the US that I wouldn't be given across the pond in the same company. Yeah, that, that's amazing. There's a um, Malcolm Gladwell's new book, and I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. And his latest book is Talking to Strangers. The things that we don't know about people that we should know, and the things we think we know about people that we actually don't know, right? And there happens to be a lot of that. Uh, and we, what, what the, when that happens, when there's something that you should know about somebody that you don't know or vice versa, that could create a fatal mistake. And in, in your example of your accent, giving you that extra advantage is a classic example of that because I mean, maybe you're, you're underselling yourself, but, uh, you, you could have made yourself to some teams and opportunities that maybe you, you weren't ready for. <laughs> And that's a mistake, right? That's a mistake on the side of, of the people that make those decisions. And obviously the opposite happens, which is what we're obviously indirectly appointing, uh, talking about. But we need to, to have better, better um, examples, a better judgment uh, as people. You know, there's, um, and I won't go too, into too much detail, um, but in the book, she, in the book, he talks about a very tragic incident um, where someone was shot in their car and they were smoking the whole time uh, and they were told to stop smoking. But if you were a smoker, you would know that a lot of smokers smoke when they're very nervous, right? So that's something that you wouldn't know if you're a smoker, if you're not, if you're a non-smoker, right? So that's just a very kind of shallow example, but we need to... These cues sometimes really fool us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're in a real crisis in this country. You know, post George Floyd. We also, I lived through nine eleven here. It wasn't a great place post nine eleven for anyone who was brown skinned. Anyone who travels a great deal on aeroplanes who happens to look, you know, from from you know, like they're from the Middle East or they're from Pakistan, like. Frankly, you and I both do. So we've, we've had challenges there where um, it was a different issue, but post 9-11, yes, lots of people looked at me and pulled me out of lines in TSA and probably looked at me if they were sitting next to me on an airplane, especially if I started speaking Hindi because they don't know if Hindi's Arabic. So I'm sure we all have our challenges. We're both very fortunate, but I think the lesson learned here is we all need to slow down and be a little bit more tolerant and ask the question to say, instead of kind of jumping to conclusion, I mean, we're all so guilty of it. And I think that 
that's one thing that we can take away from this just to like you said understand the systems and understand kind of what's what's really behind how somebody is is behaving and see if we can address that and probably nine times out of ten it's some systemic issue that happened a long time ago to a certain individual oh yeah that, that's just spot on that is exactly the journey that all of us should go on is ask those questions dig deep learn the history because there's there's reasons for for these things um you know i i don't want to take too much of your time but i do have more questions i'm really curious about how you're spending your time outside of work nowadays you know you can't go to you're, there's just not it's a different world you seem to still be in new york what, what are you doing in your free time now like we're recording this in the in the middle of july i must say that all everything i describe to my team and my clients around mindfulness, taking time away from the screens, focusing on something else. I am struggling with that. I haven't taken a vacation because of the work demands. I, um, I, I do my run in the morning, but then I'm kind of, you know, pretty much in front of, um, in front of various screens and various calls, sometimes a couple of calls at a time. Um, I found myself really wanting to read a lot more about what's going on in the world. Um, I, I engage in, I have the fortune of engaging in lots of media discussions and panel discussions, and I feel that I'm never, I'm never caught up with what information is going on in the world so I can actually be useful in connecting dots. I have a pretty busy client schedule. I have a great team that, that obviously helps drive a great deal of that. Um, I have to try and be helpful in the house with the homeschooling when it was relevant, but um, I have felt myself doing a lot more reading, whether it's early on about health, then it was a lot about kind of government stimulus policy because of everything going on with PPP. And then obviously, you know, a lot more about spending time to really educate myself a bit more around the systemic racial injustice and the history of this country. Um, and I'm, I'm right now I'm focusing on looking at all the second waves and the stay in place orders. I'm you know, very worried about what's going on in India with the the increased number of cases and death. Yeah, I'm worried about what's going on in South America. So that's how I'm spending time. I'm also um, part of a couple of task forces with some global institutions that I've kept in touch with, which has been really helpful. So I'm part of a diversity, um, inclusion and equity um, task force with different diversity leaders globally for the World Economic Forum. I'm also part of a task force around the future of work for the T20, which is a think tank that rights policy for the G20. And so I've written a couple of policy papers with some colleagues around good work and how you build good work into the post-COVID response. We've written some papers around cybersecurity and the big challenges with cybersecurity right now because with all the work from home, a lot of vulnerable systems and that can do real damage to individuals, personal identity, individual companies, disinformation can, can impact democracy as a whole so so i'm trying to keep um keep focused on some of the policy agenda which i think is really interesting and back to privilege we're in a privileged position as business leaders and a business leader at pwc that i feel i need to share and make sure that business leaders are also influencing policy makers on topics where i can be helpful around the people agenda it's amazing i really enjoyed our time today 
any final words for for our listeners? Uh, maybe a recommendation, a book, a movie. Yes, this is um this is one of my most um, interesting and different and natural podcasts that I've probably ever done because very few of my colleagues and clients probably know that I experienced bullying or extreme racism or grew up in a humble um, you know neighborhood in in the UK um, and so probably people get to know get to know me in a, in a different way here most of my discussions as you know are more about how we can help companies um, most of the discussions are around how do we help companies build back better emerge stronger post-covid how do they change their ways of working how do they collaborate how do they communicate how do they live their purpose um, I would just say to the folks who um, because we do have a lot of talent and, and culture type professionals here. I would just say, you know, now is an amazing time in the workplace to drive real change and drive change, whether it's change around the societal agenda, change around the skills that you should be demanding from your employer if you want to work in different areas, digital skills or design skills. And it's also the important point for us all to remember we will get through this pandemic and we will get through this economic recession. Um, I've lived through two recessions here in the US. I came here at the start of the dot-com bubble bursting. I lived through um, the financial crisis and we will get through this. There are, there, we have much more transparency and focus on health and well-being and the importance of purpose and the importance of racial justice now. We've just got to kind of keep our heads and make sure that we don't treat everything as a political decision, that we don't treat everything as so divisive. We have to come together. I really worry between now and November, every single piece that we live and work, whether it's wearing masks, whether it's do we have air conditioning, whether it's how do we um, deal with the rising caseload of, of COVID-19, that we're gonna look at every decision through a very polarized political view. We can't do that because we, uh, we will live and work and our children will far beyond this kind of, kind of current political um, situation. But I worry about divisiveness, I worry about politicization and that we won't really address what the important root cause issues are, which are the ones we talked about at the start of the conversation. I'm with you, we need to listen. We need to listen. Thank you, Bushan. I know that uh, for sure this is one of many, many conversations we'll have. Thank you so much for joining us today.